0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spinning one, one, one. Is oh, a, is a, a bonus. bonus.
1: One for, Skies High
0: for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! Got it
2: setting the and I think that's terrific. Focci, Focci, Focci. My goodness, another fourth quarter collapse by the Indiana Pacers. I hate to say it, but I feel like an oppressed Pacers fan right now watching these games over the last couple of weeks.
3: Alex, it's tough because it feels like a movie I've watched so many different times, and I know the ending. I go, ah, man, the fourth quarter, it's here already. Well, I guess it's time to pack it up and go to bed because uh, (laughs) I'm not going to be sleeping good tonight. So I might as well try and get it on now because once again, the Pacers blow it in the fourth. It's killing me out here.
2: No, it's, it's, you made a great point. It's like a movie. You're sitting there watching it for like the first 75% of the movie and you're like just so excited. You're like, I can't wait to see what the ending is like. And it's so. Anticlimactic, and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the superhero doesn't overcome the villain and the villain just absolutely destroys the superhero that's actually come through all these struggles throughout the whole movie and you see him coming back. He's going to, you know, he's ready to go out there and just take this bad guy down and all of a sudden it just, he just falls apart. He's dead. And it's like, well, that was the most awful ending to a movie. And that's what it's been like over and over and over again. And so it's like, I'm sitting here, like listening to Mark Boyle, on the on the call, and he said, "This team, you know, feels like they can't rebound in an open gym. It's the constant True. offensive rebounds. I feel like that possession was kind of the the tone setter for the fourth quarter of how this was going to play out and how it was going to end. And it doesn't even matter who's in the game or what's going on. This team has just absolutely fallen apart. And I think Miles Turner said at this point, it's just it's just mentally they just have to get through it."
3: I mean, yeah, I don't know what you have to say to get through it, but we just need you to just figure it out. I mean, it's at a point where I talked about it so many times. So, if you coming into the season, we knew how bad the rebounding issue was in the past, and it was like, need to address rebounding, need to address rebounding. It never gets done. The Pacers got crushed on the boards once again, 50 to 34, and on the offensive glass, 15 to 4. I feel like that's what it would be like if the Brooklyn Nets played me and my friends. I mean, look, <laughs> it, I think we'd just be jumping up and down, reaching for the ball as they're grabbing it right over us. It feels like every game there's that one possession where the other team, no matter who it is, whether it's the Nuggets or Brooklyn, they just toy around with us and they get a series of offensive rebounds until eventually it leads to either a three-point basket or a layup or a foul, whatever it is. And I just think it, like sucks the life out of the Pacers or it just takes so much energy out of you to continuously be jumping for rebounds that you're not getting to then watch a basket come in. It's like you, your head drops down. You go, all right, all right, let's 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 next possession. And you try and shake it off, but you can't. And it's happening every single game. These guys are getting bullied out there.
2: Oh, oh, I know, Fauci. And what's really disappointing too is this Pacers team is two and eight in their last 10 games Disgusting. Tied for the worst in the uh, in the Eastern Conference now. Orlando might end up taking over that as they're two and eight and they've lost eight in a row. The Raptors are two and eight in their last and they've lost six in a row. It's really difficult. I mean, for crying out loud, the the Detroit Pistons have won three of their last and they've got one more win in the last ten games. So that's just where it's at. But I think if you look at the standings we are only two and a half games out of the seventh or the sixth seed actually. But I think a lot of us predicted the Pacers to finish around six or seven this season expectations really weren't that high. I would say for the Pacers as far as where we had them at in the regular season standings, but you know, training Oladipo ever since then the team has not played well. And we talked about how the locker room was happier once he was gone and all this other stuff, but I, I I have a bit of a hot take here, Flacher, that I just got to get off my chest. And I understand that we've had conversations about let's see this team go together. We still haven't seen T.J. Warren and all that. But um, since Easter's around the corner, I'm sure that you have fond memories of getting an Easter basket mm-hmm. over the years. And so, in, in your Easter basket, you know, you've got your Peeps, you've got your Cadbury eggs, you've got your Reese's peanut butter eggs, you've got your jelly beans, you've got the works, right? But if you ate all those at one time, would you like it?
3: I'd probably feel a little sick. That's how I feel right now, looking at these fourth quarters.
2: But I'm just asking, like, if you ate a Cadbury egg with a Reese's peanut butter egg and jelly beans, would you like that? Would you like the combination?
3: I mean, I like me some Reese's, but I don't know. I don't know. Not about the whole together,
2: all at once. Yeah,
3: exactly. Not not the whole combination. I like some of the the bits and pieces.
2: Yeah, and so what I'm trying to say, basically, with my analogy here, is the Pacers as a roster. This is a this is a different hot take. So the Pacers' roster have a lot of pieces you like. If you like peeps, yeah, you know. If you like Cadbury eggs, if you like the the Robin egg whoppers, you know, all these things are really good. But if you put them all together, you're like, yeah, oh, this is not a good taste. And and personally, for me, I'm not even saying that the ro- the starting five is the problem, but with the bench and with the starting five, it just feels like they're just missing a couple different dynamic players to really make this team feel like they're actually worth you know investing in because. I understand, like, get it. When TJ Warren comes back, this team will probably be better, but, you know, Karis is still trying to figure his footing out and stuff like that. But they've got, like, two guys, and, and both of them are gone. Well, one of them's gone, one of them's coming back, but they're not fully there. And Lavert and Warren, who are, you know, two way players, in my opinion. I think Brogdon can be that sometimes. And I think, Turner can be that sometimes. Sabonis is not a defensive player ever, so I'm not going to put him in that category. But you have a lot of specialists. You have a T.J. McConnell, who's scrappy, uh, but he's not, like, super great at anything be- besides, you know, uh, full-court steals. Um, Aaron Holiday super inconsistent. Justin Holliday doesn't really create for anybody. He's just a 3 and D kind of guy. Uh, Doug McDermott, all he really does is cut and shoot threes. It's just a team, like, I just – Feel like they need more dynamic playmakers, dynamic guys that can do that can be like at the top of their game on both ends of the floor, and not every team has that. And you need guys that are like you know those role player type things. But they're just their point guard situation with Brogdon. He's not a great creator for other people, in my opinion. So you're relying so much on Sabonis to do all of the playmaking and the creating, and then whatever you get out of T.J. McConnell, that's what you're hoping for. It's just this roster right now. Even though I've talked about them growing together. There's got to be some tinkering to the roster because, quite frankly, all these pieces might be nice if you look at them on paper, but I don't think they fit together.
3: They don't fit together. And, and we've talked about it, how there's there's too many guys on the bench that aren't ready to, you know, compete on a nightly basis where we could, you know, get quality minutes out of them. And I, I think that it, it hurts the team when when they're they're trying to, you know, go on a winning streak or just put together fourth course we're seeing the bench unit come in and you know to start the fourth and things unravel real quickly but also you know when you're talking about this team right now who's the dog on this team who's that guy that if things get tough you know we've had we've talked about in the past the Pacers had you know David West or they've they've had Lance or just other guys where you have that guy that no one's going to mess with you so they do so and so is going to step up and maybe that would be one if he's healthy but right now I don't think the Pacers have that guy no. And and I mean, there's there's a lot of different roles that other other players can serve. And right now, the Pacers are missing that, and they're missing a true rebounder. Yes, Domas is is a good rebounder in general, but we need someone who's going to be flat out crashing the glass. A guy that can really you know go up and get the ball, box out others, attack attack rebounds. Where it's not happening right now. I mean, it's obviously exaggerated. Nicholas Claxton looked like a beast last night. And, and that was a guy that was just – I feel like he held it down for the Nets. And I, when he was in there, they were way better than with DeAndre Jordan. I just looked at this team and I went, the rebound, it can't be this bad.
0: But yeah.
3: you also – you need certain guys to serve a bunch of different roles. And I think maybe this team right now, they're too nice. And I mean, you're not going to be able to pin everything back on that, but I'm starting to get a little bit happy that losing is affecting them like this because I want these guys to ha- to wake up and have a reaction to 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 make a change about it. And I, and I don't want to have to have more losses come just to wake the guys up, but something needs to change and it's got to change now. It's got to
2: change. I'm absolutely just like sitting here watching these games and, you know, it's like great that Karis is back. I think we were all happy for a day when we, we heard the news and then he played against the Suns and we won. And then you go and play the Nuggets and you had a chance to win and it was just absolutely atrocious. And, you know, last night, same things. I think James Harden had 23 points with like a minute 12 left or a minute 20 left in the third quarter. Finishes the game with 40 points. You know, it's just like the fourth quarter is the Pacers just forget that they are playing basketball. And I'm not sure if it's the rotations. I think that we saw some changes from Bjorkren against the Nets in his rotation. I know there were some Miles Levert minutes there. But personally, for me, I'm just, I am so frustrated with this team's inability to finish in the fourth quarter. And I don't really know who the leader is in this team. Maybe it's Brogdon. But I just, I feel like they're missing that veteran leader, someone that's been there before and done it. So, you know, this is why I was so high on Chris Paul in the offseason. Everybody kept saying, oh, oh he's yeah. too old. You know, you can't trade Turner and Oladipo for him. It's so short-sighted. Look at the freaking Phoenix Suns right now. They're competing for the number one seed in the Western Conference. That's got a ton of powerhouse teams and superstar players in it. You know, the, the, the Eastern Conference has like four teams that are like super, super competitive. But, you know, if you look at the Western Conference, there's like 10 teams deep that you'd be nervous of. So... I just think like even if it's just a small acquisition like getting a veteran that's been in these kind of moments that can kind of step up and and just try to be that voice of reason hold these guys accountable someone's got to do it and it just feels like right now there's something missing with this team and I feel like it's
3: leadership there really is and look you know we know Malcolm Brogdon is a great guy we know he's a leader you know all that but I know what you're talking about when we need a little bit more. And when you brought up Chris Paul, that man changes franchises that guy. I know he hasn't won the big one, but when he goes to teams, they're better. And I know they didn't get it done in Houston, but let's not forget if he doesn't have that hamstring injury, they might beat golden state and they probably beat Cleveland in the NBA finals. And look, that's a whole nother story for another time, but Oh, someone like that would have changed everybody. That is a true veteran. While Brogdon's been around the league a couple of years now, he still hasn't had these like deep playoff runs where you're, you're battle tested and you get crushed in a game seven and you spend the whole off season working, you know, harder than ever to get back there. And right now, the Pacers have some of those players like Sabonis hasn't been battle tested in the playoffs. And unfortunately, you know, Miles like he went to a seven game series early on in his career, but the last few years have been, you know, early exit, early exits. He, sure. He was with the, the seven game series that lost to the Cavs. You know, that was, that was real tough, but you want, you need more experience and I don't know who the Pacers can go out and get at this point, but, you and I, we were we were begging for a veteran on this team, you know, about a year or two ago. And, you know, not to say that we had to settle for Justin Holiday, but it was like, hey, at least he was, like, on the bench with Golden State when they won in 2015, and he's, like, over 30 years old. Like, no, that's not enough. We need a true veteran that can pick guys up at their lowest points and turn it around in the fourth quarter, beast. when things are getting bad, when the Pacers are losing the lead in the fourth quarter – they're not coming back. And I don't mean coming back to, to take the lead. They're, they're, it looks like they're disappearing.
2: Oh, and th- no, you're 100% right. And that's where I'm frustrated at the most. I just, I got to see more from this team. And unfortunately I've not seen enough of it. So um, I'm not expecting them to write the ship anytime soon. I-, I feel like this is a team that I can't even rely on. Um, it's like uh the same thing keeps happening in the fourth quarter over and over and over again. It's like death taxes and the Pacers collapsing in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. We're never going to change. I mean, unless something drastic happens, but it's just, I don't think it's in this roster right now for it, for it to change. And I'm not trying to be overreactor, uh, you know, trying to overreact here or be over reactionary, but I am physically just like, I, I just, I can't mentally or physically get into the games as much because I know that what's happened so far throughout the last month or so, it's just like, why why am I investing so much of my time into this team? And, I mean, Pacer fans feel the same way. You can see the interactions on social media. They've been weighed down because of this mm-hmm. losing. And, and you've just been seeing, like, how depressed they are. So I want them to get back to it. And maybe if Levert can, you know, get back in game shape and maybe in a couple of weeks really start playing better. I mean, maybe we go on a little winning streak once we get through this month of March. But it's just – it's not even the fact that we got a tough schedule. It's just the way we're playing games that's making me frustrated.
3: It is, and the problem is, is that there's no longer uh, like, what about this? Just you know, smash some emergency glass and break someone else out. No, we we've now seen this roster, and it and it's like there's no hidden talent there. I mean, we've now gone and done about a full 180, and now we're starting to say like. Why don't we get Jakar Sampson some minutes? And it's like, that's not going to win the game for us. I mean, I think he could – at this point, why isn't he playing? But, I mean, that can't be what we're looking towards to just say, like, well, it's the only thing else that we're not really trying right now. It's like, I think the Pacers need to to figure out which direction they're going in. They're running out of time. They're running out of time because if we lose McDermott and or McConnell in the offseason for nothing, we're going to look back and go, for what? To try and compete for the eighth seed, like what were the, to, to solidify the play, the playing game? Like, well, what are we doing here? So they got to wake up and, and it's got to be real quick because, like I said, trade deadline is a week, is less than a week from now. And this schedule is not getting any easier. We finally got Lavert back from, that's all we were asking for for a while. And, you know, right now things could have been way different. I mean, for all we know, this could have been they could have won all three games that he's played in. But instead, it's we're one and two in that stretch. And here comes Miami and Milwaukee.
2: Absolutely. And speaking of Miami, we're going to have Jean Carlo Navis on to preview that series right after this break. And then following that, we're going to have Focci going one on one with Yahoo. Well, I think he's with Yahoo. I can't remember if he's still with yes, him or not. Yep. Yeah, from Yahoo Sports, Keith Smith. So uh, we'll be right back and uh, hope you guys enjoy our conversation with Carlo.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: All right, joining mm-hmm. us now for a little Pacers Heat mini series uh, preview, we've got the one and only Giancarlo Navis from the Miami Heat Beat Pod. Giancarlo, what's going on, man? Hey, guys,
4: thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Uh, You know, last year playoff matchup. So, you know, there's a lot to talk about today. Absolutely. So, I guess just to kind of get into
2: things, the Miami Heat kind of struggled at the beginning of the year. They had some COVID, you know, situations and kind of kept their guys out. And now they're looking like a top team in the Eastern Conference. They've won nine of their last 10, and Jimmy Butler is, you know, looking like an all NBA guy. So, just kind of talk me through the craziness of this season so far for the Heat and how they've been playing lately.
4: So, and, and even going before their kind of COVID outbreak, Jimmy Butler sprained his ankle game one of the season against mm. the Magic. Um, so he really wasn't right going into his COVID, um, you know, kind of protocol stuff. So they, they really hadn't played with a full deck the entire season up until he came back around January 30th. Uh, since then they have like the number one defense, one or two. So it's like top two defense in the league. They've Their offense is still struggling and we can get into that later, but, you know, the beginning of the season that looked kind of rocky when they were kind of hovering around 500, Uh it was a little misleading because they weren't healthy. And then the outbreak happened and then they missed Bam, Goran, Jimmy. I believe that they've only played about 80 minutes all year together, Goran, Bam, and Jimmy, which is you know kind of crazy. It's They're halfway through 70%. What are we like? Almost 70% through the season and their three best players haven't played significant minutes yet. So they had that really bad outbreak at a time when their schedule got really rough. They played Philly twice. They played Booker twice. Trice. Uh, they played a lot of really good teams. And it's tough, you know, when you're playing a lot of good teams and you're missing your whole team, right? You're playing Gabe Vincent and Max Cruz, a lot of minutes. KZ Paul is starting for you every night and you're depending on your two-way guys, your G League guys. You're asking Chris Silva to defend Joel Embiid. It's tough. It's tough, and and their their record showed it, and they did not look good. And on top of that, compounder, their offense sucks this year. So even when Jimmy came back, it was kind of rocky up until they really found their groove defensively. And their offense is still what I think it's like around twentieth or something, and they're like the twenty seventh or twenty sixth ranked three point shooting team. So they have a lot of issues that they still have to fix. But I mean, Jimmy has to play at uh, an All NBA first or second team level guy to keep this team competitive over what's been a, a really soft part of their
3: schedule? Jimmy's importance to the team is, it's able to be seen by everybody. I mean, he truly seems like he is, you know, the the spark that gets that, that team going. And what do you have to say to those, now that he is back, what do you have to say to those that maybe think that last year's run to the finals might have been a little bit of a fluke, and that they were waiting for the heat to kind of stumble a little this year?
4: So I the thing I always say to that is like, what about what they did was a fluke, right? Because their offense was seventh in the league during the regular season the year before, right? So like that was something that they were doing all season long. I mean, they were shooting the daylights out of everybody. I mean, Duncan Robinson was shooting like forty-five percent. And I think he was shooting like fifty percent on contested threes or something, something crazy, right? So like they were doing that for the course of of the regular season. So what they did in the playoffs offensively, that shouldn't have surprised anybody. And I thought the defense with Crowder and Iguodala, you know, they kind of went from a more conservative drop scheme to a really switch-heavy kind of ball-sharky scheme that Eric Spolstra has been known for since (laughs) really the LeBron days, right? Like, that's they used to trap, play aggressive the passing lanes, switch a ton. So I don't understand what people looked at and said, well, that's not sustainable. Because Jay actually shot way worse in the playoffs than he did in the regular season right he only really had like half a good series which was against the Bucks. I think against the Pacers he only shot like 34 percent or something like not it's not not ridiculous right and against the Lakers he struggled and against the Celtics he like legit couldn't hit anything Dragic you could say okay well Dragic played above his level but I mean what you don't, is nobody on a title run you can't have one guy playing a little bit above their weight on all-star caliber point guard Jimmy did what Jimmy does and that's what Bam had been doing all season so I look at what they did in the bubble and I'm like, well, while well, you can look at the Bucs and you can look schematically at how they attacked Milwaukee's really deep drop. Cause Miami just carved them up and the Pacers, it sucked Cause the bonus was out and, and, and Depot wasn't really right. So I mean, it's tough to take a lot from that series, but against, against the Bucs, I mean, the heat did what they do. You're gonna drop on our handoffs. We are going to burn you. Oh, now because we're destroying you in the handoffs because Brook Lopez is five feet in the paint. You're gonna to have to put a better. You're gonna to have to put a West Matthews on Duncan Robinson, which leaves Jimmy Butler with Georgia Hill, and Jimmy Butler's gonna to go to work on a guy that he's stronger than. So, I mean, you can really look at how the Heat were running their offense, and you can say, well, like that's that's not fluky. That's that's good coaching, right? That's Goran playing a little bit above his weight. That's good coaching. That's kind of guys playing well, and then against the Celtics. Like the Celtics were really small in the back line and they were getting destroyed and pick and roll because they had no help to when bam kind of slipped that screen, you know, th- those help guys are small, right? And I know Gordon Hayward missed time, but even when Gordon Hayward was on the floor, they were losing those minutes. So I don't understand how people can like actually like legitimately watch those games and like, you know, not have a dishonest, uh, like bad faith argument. And what, like, what about that was fluky? Like, that's what I don't get. Yeah, no, I mean, everybody just kind of
2: said it was the Mickey Mouse bubble, you know, that kind of thing. And to me personally, I think it was actually probably more difficult for some of these teams to be, you know, quarantining away from their families. Like, it's a very challenging thing. So
4: I will say this, though. Yeah. For a team that had, like, Goran in particular benefited from the rest. Because he's an older guy, right? Like, Andre benefited from kind of getting you know, some time to rest Jimmy as well. Like these are older guys with a lot of miles. So if you want to say anything, you could say, well, that he benefited from a rest period where their guys were able to kind of get healthy and recover and Guran, who has to really pace himself because he's 30, 35 years old, mm-hmm. uh, was able to go a hundred percent. Right. And, and you yeah. saw the result. So wow. that's the only thing I'll say, but I mean, like he he killed and, everybody else. Well, I mean,
2: <laughs> I think just too like, the other major thing you could say with no travel was probably a help, mm-hmm. and not having to play in opposing teams, you know, packed arenas. Because they were
4: a bad road team last year, they were a really yeah, bad
2: road team. yeah, and they weren't great. But at the same time, you know, we take we kind of forget because it feels like it's been so long since we've actually seen like a full arena or a full stadium full of fans, you know, at a game and how impactful that can be. So I think that does play a little bit of a factor into it. But uh just real quick, looking at this team this year, you know, obviously. You got your two top guys, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. And, of course, we know about the excellence of Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. But there has been some other guys that I'm interested to talk about a little bit, and that's the guy you guys drafted, Precious Achua. And then the guy that you traded away a couple second-round picks to uh, to the Pacers who had acquired a second-round pick. And uh, I'm forgetting his name now. KZ uh, Agpala. Yeah, so, guy. so those two guys right there. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about their games and how they've been impactful for the Heat this season. So let's start with Precious
4: because he it was it was kind of a weird pick for me because like they had I thought like a decent big rotation right with Olenek and Bam, and they drafted Precious, which I guess you know makes sense. Okay, now they have a real backup five and they can kind of slot Olenek to the four and he can play like a lot of different lines, which has been good. I mean Ko has been. Awesome. If you look at any of the Heat's lineup data, <laughs> Olinic is like the reason why lineups are good. But uh, I love the stat. Jimmy Butler and Olinic are like plus 14 per 100 possessions, which is about what Anthony Davis and LeBron are. Right? Like, it's it's just like, <laughs> I find that like really funny. Um, so, you know, get Precious kind of slides him, kind of play next to Bam and Jimmy Moore and stuff like that. He's been very rocky lately. He started off the season really good. I think really forceful screener and roller. The the chemistry with Goran Dragic was pretty instant, right? That that screen and roll game, that uh, was a great diver, good lob target for Goran, who's improved a lot at lob throwing because he was not good at that when he got in. Him and Hassan Whiteside did not have a good connection, but Precious does, and I think Precious defensively, you know, has a lot of upside. You saw in the beginning of the season they were letting him switch onto Jason Tatum, can play their drop, can play their switch. It's been a little rocky last night against Memphis; just totally looked lost. They were just—they were—they were like minus 17 in the minutes he played. I mean, they were just getting pounded. Uh, it was tough. Um, and, and when there's a lot of screen action and he doesn't know when to switch or when to drop, it kind of gets lost a little bit. And he's just—he's a young player, and that's going to happen. And uh, he can't shoot; his free throw shooting's bad. I don't particularly see him ever playing next to Bam, unless Bam somehow becomes like a really good three point shooter, which I don't think that they should force him to do that. And I don't really know if Bam's going to become that. So. I like Precious. I think he's really good, but he's really the guy I've been putting in the trade machine to see what they can get. Because uh, I think he's good, but I, I just don't know where he fits into their kind of plans long term, especially if he can't play next to Bam. So I, I like him because he can play both sides of the handoff, right? He can, he can do, he can, well, not both sides. He can play one side of the handoff, uh, and they they run that a lot. I, I like him, but it, it's kind of tough with KZ. KZ like our unicorn. He's like our mythical, like what if guy. He's he's the he's like our new Justice Winslow. We used to do that with Justice all the time. We have the Justice Better campaign. Uh, we, sometimes I think we want KZ to be something that he isn't. Um, <laughs> in theory, he should have been what they traded. Like they got Ariza yesterday, and KZ should have been what Ariza was, right? Like that's what people wanted because I mean he's a decent spot up shooter, especially from the corners. You kind of hope that he can defend, play up a position. He Eric Spilshore calls his defensive lapses glitches. <laughs> it's not too encouraging. Uh, it's also kind of funny, but he, I think on defense, he gets lost a ton. He's really good on ball. Like if you're isoing him on ball, he's great. It's not a lack of effort. He just legit gets lost out there. And when there's a lot of movement, a lot of ball screens, and Miami does complicated stuff, they switch some stuff, they don't switch other stuff, right? Like they're not like the Rockets, where the Rockets are like, okay, we're switching every off ball screen. Right. They can't because Olenek can't switch certain things and like Goran can't switch certain things. So they have to be very selective on what they switch and what they don't, especially off ball actions. And like, I think KZ has gotten better at that, but he still has lapses and sometimes he gets a blown coverage and the guy backdoor cuts and all of a sudden, you know, some random guard has a layup. So Precious and KZ are, are works, right? They're, they're works. I think KZ has improved as the season has gone on and Precious has hit a little bit of a wall. I think KZ has really earned some of his minutes lately. Uh, Sposter is going more to him. Um, and I like that. I think that they need to kind of give him those reps. Uh, he, he has the body type, the wingspan, and he has a good enough corner three that I think he legit can make a difference in the league. He just needs to put a couple of things together. Get had a move the other day. Kind of mate, I'm sorry I'm rambling, but like it was like one of the more encouraging things we've seen from him because he wouldn't really look at the rim, especially attacking on the drive. He would kind of take one dribble and look to pass. He was like making forceful moves to the rim. And even if they resulted in charges or some mislayups, like I think the fact that he's doing that more and it doesn't look awkward, that's like really important to Miami because they just don't have another like rim
3: pressure. Love them or hate them, you got to respect the Heat's culture, what they built over there and their ability to find diamonds in the rough. Now, a couple of the names that you mentioned before, you know, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson. I mean, an unbelievable job for Miami to be able to, you know, find these talents and maximize those talents. But when it came down to maybe some trades, like, for instance, making a move for James Harden, the Heat were reluctant to include, you know, your Tyler Heroes or, you know, a few other pieces Do you think Miami made the right move not going after Harden and keeping this team together? So, I've heard
4: a couple things on this talking to people. I've heard one, I've heard somebody who I trust a lot tell me that the Heat just did not have the draft equity to make this work, that Brooklyn just had more draft equity and and it just, they were not going to be able to get to that. I've had somebody else tell me that. This was pretty much done, and the Heat were haggling on Duncan Robinson. And I I don't know what the truth is. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, they, I understand their perspective because they had just made the finals. They played really well. They have guys that they. I think they thought Tyler was going to be better this season. I think they thought Duncan would be as good as he was last year, and that just hasn't been the case. And I don't think they care about Precious. But those are the two guys that maybe they overvalued a little bit. Now, I've always said that Tyler Hero is a lot more Lou Williams than he is Devin Booker. Just can't get separation. He's a good shooter. He needs certain conditions. He can make plays for you offensively. He's going to be a target on defense, but is active and tries. He has a lot in his offensive bag, has a pull-up, can get to spots at the rim. Just I don't think he'll ever get to like the line as much as Lou Williams and he doesn't get the separation that Lou does, but I I, I kind of see them as similar type players. Um, and, and the Heat, think of him more as Devin Booker. And I think that if that's what they think, you know, they banked on, okay, well, we just made the finals. This kid's going to get better. Duncan's going to be as good. You know, Bam's going to improve, which, which he has. And we have Jimmy. And as long as Warren doesn't fall off a cliff, you know, and Mo Harkless gives us something like Jay Crowder did, I think we should be fine, right? Particularly because nobody in the East, I mean, you know, they, they Harden hadn't been to the, gone to the Nets yet. So, and, and Philly kind of has really emerged, you know, late, but I don't blame them for what they did. I obviously would have done it. I mean, I think you can't, you know what I mean? Like, if you have the chance at a top, you know, clearly a top two player in the season, I mean, you might win MVP. It's just crazy to say, considering all that happened in Houston. So, I get, I get what they did. I get why they haggled. I get it. Um, sometimes you just overvalue your guys too much and, and it's, you know, you'll never be right. You know what I mean? You always should go for the superstar. I think whenever you have that chance and then you figure out the rest. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I think, you know, tying in that James
2: Harden trade, it, it does go back to the Pacers a little bit and the Pacers jumped in on the James Harden trade and, and dealt Victor Oladipo and, and acquired Karis Lavert. And obviously, Congratulations. yeah. So thank you for not going after uh, um, <laughs> James Harden because we probably wouldn't have got into that deal unless for some reason, the Miami Heat are that in, uh, interested in Victor Oladipo. So I'm curious because that's the rumor that's been swirling around here basically since last year with Oladipo he wants to be in Miami. And I'm just curious, one, if that is true on whatever sources you've heard. And two, is Miami uh, reciprocating that same love and desire to have Oladipo on their team?
4: It's tough. And, like, I've heard a little bit of both. I've heard some people tell me that, you know, the Heat weren't too happy with Victor Oladipo. Uh, very publicly like wanting to be here in front of his teammates. I've heard that that didn't sit well with them. And I've also heard that they're just monitoring the situation. I think with them, and I was kind of wrong on this. I mean, when when they got Jimmy, I said, they're going to need to get someone better than Jimmy to really contend for a title. That Jimmy couldn't be your one. And I was wrong. And I think that that really changes their calculus because if you had asked me before, I'm like, well, Victor's obviously not as good as Jimmy. And what how would that help them going forward, right? But obviously, that math has changed, and Jimmy's obviously good enough. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're gonna. I mean, it depends on what Houston's asking, especially in a trade. I don't. I got to be honest with you, and this might, this might sound ridiculous. I probably wouldn't even give Olynyk for for Depot right now. I don't think Victor's looked healthy. I don't think he's looked particularly good in Houston. I don't think the shooting. I mean, the shooting's been so bad, and like he, they just can't afford to have another negative shooter. I've never been the biggest Depot person. I've just, he had one really good season in Portland, in, uh, in, in Indiana, really, really good season. And it's been injury and kind of expectations ever since. So as far as me, I'm not like particularly with the idea. I like him as a defender. Their defense is really good, the heats. But, you know, the one th- area that they can improve is what Victor's good at is, you know, you get a guy at the point of attack, kind of get around screens, fight that, stay in front of a guard. You know, none, hero, dragic can't do that. They just they just die. And none's been a lot better this year. And Tyler competes and and in the playoffs scoring (laughs) does what he can. But you know, I think when you close, you know, you don't want a weak link. You don't want a guy that LeBron or Giannis or Harden or KD can target and pick and roll. So that's the advantage to a guy like Oladipo. I've just I'd, just, I'd rather use the money. If, if they're going to trade for, for Oladipo, I, I'd rather them just harass the Kings to, to, to trade them Harrison Barnes. You know what I mean?
3: Oh, yeah. Harrison Barnes definitely uh, seems like the, the hot name that a bunch of teams want right now. Curious to see how the Oladipo-Miami thing plays out. Feels like a to-be-continued, but I, I'm hoping you can clear up this rumor for me, Giancarlo, because when Sabonis got named into the All-Star team, we immediately then heard a report that jimmy was actually asked but if bam couldn't come with him then jimmy wasn't gonna go do you actually believe that this was a true report
4: okay so i gotta i gotta shout out my homies at five reason sports because they were the ones that that put that report out i shout out to ethan skolnick used to work for him great guy um i mean i'll never doubt what ethan with the information that ethan puts out um he's a good reporter, who's been a good reporter for a very, very long time, not just in this market, but nationally, um, I, the NBA came out and like deny that. And I don't really think that's how the all-star invitation works. I'm pretty sure someone told five reasons that, um, and they, they, I think maybe people took the report the wrong way. Like, I don't think that they reported it as fact, but maybe people took it as fact, uh, I haven't talked to Ethan about the report, so I, I don't know particularly like the, the particulars of it. But I mean, just from my experience looking at it, um, I, I don't I probably don't think that happened that way. I'm sure that somebody told them that. Um, you know, and I'm sure that somebody wants Jimmy to look good and and, and as the ultimate teammate guy TM. Um, but I don't know. I mean it's tough. I, I I mean I think the NBA came out pretty swiftly and denied that that I think a spokesperson in the league said, Yeah, that's not how the All Star game works. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not gonna dispute Five Reasons reporting. I know that those guys are solid over there, but I, I'm pretty sure what had happened was somebody told them that, and uh, you know, they kind of passed it along on Twitter, and then that got aggregated into something kind of extreme. Um. So.
2: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Because I saw the same. Walking on like...
4: landmines here. Can I can't. You know, I know my colleagues hey, out here. I'll take
2: it. I'll take it. <laughs> Well, it's just you know, you never really know and ever think it's aggregated nowadays because people that run those accounts are just desperate to have clicks and have you all have been it.
4: aggregated? Um, it's not fun. I don't, I don't recommend.
2: I don't I don't really think we ever got aggregated. We had a we had Jay Michael from the Indie Star come on and he talked about Justin Holiday not being happy basically with Victor Oladipo or not wanting to be here basically. And that kind of got aggregated, where Justin actually had to address yeah. it on social media. Oh, there you go!
4: Congratulations. And, uh,
2: <laughs> and then everybody kind of was like just downplaying everything that we did and said that he shouldn't have to say that because he didn't really say it or it wasn't a source. And I was like, okay, whatever. But uh, but anyway, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, and I know the Pacers. It's kind of a weird situation because I like these miniseries, but I think it's interesting that we're playing at one o'clock on Sunday. Um. I do like the early Sunday games, to be honest with you. They're kind of fun to watch in the afternoon, but you know, this Pacers team has really been struggling and I don't know if you've got to see them much, but they cannot finish the games in the fourth quarter. But they're, they're minus 50 in their last four games in the fourth quarter. I mean, just absolutely dreadful. So um, from the Pacers side of things though, is there anything that you've seen from this team that you think they could give Miami a little bit of run? Or do you think that Miami just is the better team and the Pacers are going to have their hands full?
4: So like Miami's like, a struggling rebounding team. And I know that Indiana is not like this (laughs) rebounding juggernaut, but I guess in theory, you know, you have those, you know, those two big dudes uh, that feels like a recipe for disaster. Miami switches a lot. So, you know, kind of small guys will end up on, on, uh, on miles and on Sabonis, which I I think that's the one thing to look at and how they're going to switch, because typically when they switch, there's not a lot of centers in the league that can really punish those switches. 'Cause mm-hmm. Bam is very, very willing to switch on to guards. So I- I'm gonna be curious to see like how often they wanna do that switch because I, I don't think that they're gonna you know, one thing is <laughs> one thing is letting, you know, Daniel Tice or or whatever, you know, post up you go, okay, fine, yeah, try that. Another thing is, you know, DeMontis a bonus. Uh I'm sure that they're gonna double and send help. And I, th- I think that's kind of what they're going to do. If if they do switch, they will double immediately and send help. That's one thing I would look at. Um, the other thing I would look at is kind of how Mal- Malcolm Brogdon does the pick and roll. They're allowing, I think, the second fewest attempts at the rim. Uh, and that's what their defense is predicated on. They don't have a rim protector because Bam's out in the perimeter switching and trapping and all that stuff. So really their backline help has been <laughs> Jimmy Butler, right? Uh, since he's come back and he's been really good in that role uh, and they don't allow a, a lot of shots at the rim and they allow, I think the seventh lowest percentage according to Cooper. Huh? Oh yeah.
3: No, no, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just co- going to compliment the defense there. I mean, it has been great for Miami.
4: It's been really good, and, and they they were running something like this last year. It just didn't work, and then this year it's just clicked. Part of that's just been Jimmy's been a, a destroyer of worlds. I mean, he's just been absolutely insane as they've kind of moved him off ball to, to that help man in the corner. So he's coming into rim protected, and he's flying out to the corner shooter. Uh, before, that was kind of Tyler or Gabe Vincent or Duncan, and they just said, screw it. We're going to take Jimmy off the ball. We're going to put Jimmy in a help position, and we're going to fly like this. And it's worked, and it's been great. So, you know, if Brogdon can really attack none early, kind of get into the lane, get free throws, because he don't follow a ton either. That's kind of where I think that matchup's gonna be won and lost. What they do, what Sabonis does with those switches and when that help comes, and what Brogdon's gonna do in pick and roll. I think it's gonna be a fun matchup. I think they that both teams play really different. I, I don't think Indiana fires a ton of threes. Um and they don't really have the personnel. Miami <laughs> does fire a ton of threes and they're bad at it. So it, it's going to be fun. Um, looking at the numbers, Indy's not.
3: Indy's, where, where are you guys? Here? It's, it's, it's a little inconsistent. Exactly. The other day, they put up 42 threes. I thought it was a bit too much. So you never know what you're going to get.
4: But yeah, I mean, I that match, I mean, it's kind of cliche to say, but like, yeah, Brogdon, the matchup's going to be decided by Brogdon and, and Sabonis. And just because of particularly the way Miami plays defense, like how quickly is Sabonis going to see that help, see those doubles, like where are they going to get the ball to and who's going to be helping and are they going to be able to recover?
3: You know, we, we talked a lot about the heat defense. I mean, you can praise it all day. You can, but, and, and then the heat, they bring in Trevor Reza, another guy who's known for defense. I think it's a great pickup. I do. Um, I would imagine since he hasn't played this year, he should be fresh. it will take some time to get his legs underneath him, but do you think there could be a little bit of a part to worry about that the Heat are bottom four in scoring if it comes down to maybe needing to score more? Because the game Wednesday night, it was an old fashioned throwback to nineties. Uh, I liked it against Memphis, but uh it wasn't pretty. Fifth game in seven nights, though. So, it's a lot. It. It's a lot.
4: Tired legs. Sure. Jimmy had the the bad wheel. Uh was first, you know, he, he had rolled his ankle a little bit the game before. So that that was something to, also the kind of caused that, and it was, it was a weird game. They just like legit, Duncan went like three for 12 or something from three, something something crazy like that. Since January 30th, though, since when Jimmy Butler came back, he'd are 22nd in offense, uh, right behind, one behind Indiana in that stretch. Uh, funny enough, they have a positive point differential, they're plus 3.6, and their defense is first in the league. Yeah. So, when I look at the Ariza move, I think I look at that more of an offensive move rather than a defensive move because defense has been good. Like oh, yeah. what Andre is giving you, like he, Trevor's going to play the Andre role. Is they're pretty settled on Kendrick Nunn starting, uh, with Duncan, Jimmy Olinick and Bam. That's been a really good lineup for them, and and has been really really good for them. And then you bring Andre as your your kind of first wing off the bench, and whatever, and Andre closes a lot. The issue is when you close with Andre, you have Jimmy Iguodala and Bam, three non-shooters, and their offense just goes into the toilet. But you really need Andre's defense. Because really, I mean, between Duncan and Tyler and Goran and none, you have all these guys that just can get picked on at the end of games so and you can't have that. So, you know, you kind of ride with the Godala. You really <laughs> grind the pace down and you try to eke out wins. is going to help them because he's not going to sacrifice too much on defense. And their offense is going to be improved because Andre's not guarded in the corners. When Andre's parked in that corner and Jimmy and Banrum pick and roll, nobody's defending him. His man's in the paint. And Andre's not a mover Miami has a lot of screening and off-ball movement in their offense when they run their inverted horns, when they run their pistol stuff, anything that they run, and they have a wing screen. Andre is not guarded, which just ruins your offense because what last year what was so successful was kind of all this misdirection and miscommunications, and that's how Duncan Robinson springs open for an open three, Tyler springs open, Kelly springs open. Oh, all of a sudden you have a backdoor cut for Jimmy. That's not happening this year. And I think Ariza's move is going to be more when Ariza's doing those kind of screens out of pistol. When Ariza's kind of that guy in the corner, your your defense has to react differently to him than it would to Igodala And even if it's just a, a second more of decision-making, that's all a guy like Jimmy or Goran and Bam needs. And they can get to the rim more. So I look at it more of an offensive move while not sacrificing your defense. Um, I, I really like it. I think... If he doesn't look good, like he's he's it's gonna take time. Andre needed Andre needed some time before he was like kind of himself again. I mean, even in the bubble, I don't think he like looked particularly great um till like the end. So I mean I think is gonna need some patience, but as long as he can knock down corner threes and defend at a moderate level, because they're not gonna ask him to do the heavy lifting, I think they should be fine.
2: Yeah, no, it's an interesting pickup, and I know he's a guy that a lot of people have always Coveted around the trade deadline is a guy that gets moved a lot, but he is he's getting the older.
4: Most traded player in NBA history uh,
3: is he really? 11, 11 trades. 11 that's
2: time. a lot. I mean, and he's he's definitely a position that people are coveting right now, and especially in today's NBA. So, um, you know, I think it's a it's a good move, and especially getting rid of Myers Leonard. I'm sure that's uh someone you guys weren't sad to see go. So, um, as we as we wrap this podcast up, just uh, I guess. Give me your prediction on this uh, two-game series, and uh, maybe plug something you have going on for your guys' podcast.
4: So, it, depending on Jimmy's health, I mean, I, listen, I'm gonna Miami. I, I think they probably split. Okay. I think the Heat haven't shown you that. I mean, their record against over 500 teams is bad. Um, what is it? I mean, or, I mean, I know that Indiana's not <laughs> lighting the world on fire, but I think that they're a good team. Like I, I think for anybody to call them not a good team is a little foolish. And this is a weird season. Nothing's normal. And I think kind of like looking at record at face value, it's a little disingenuous. So, you know, Indiana's a couple games under 500 or 17 and 22. I think in theory you put Miami to beat them. I wouldn't be surprised if they split and these, you know, I forgot who it was. I don't know if it was Steve Jones Jr. On the Dunker Spot podcast said, um, that these mini-series, like, it really allows good coaches to kind of pound home, like, what we messed up on. So, like, let's say the Heat win the first game. You know, it really gives Indiana a good team, you know, that's well-coached with smart players to really fix on film what went wrong, and that's why we're seeing a lot of splits in these kind of little mini-series. So, it's tough to win two of these in a row, like, unless, like, there's, like, some injury stuff or whatever. I mean, it's tough, especially when you're kind of well-coached like Indiana, you know, shout-out to my... Toronto's like my second team. So shout out, to, <laughs> shout out to your coach. Um, It's tough. So yeah, I w- I'd probably go with a split. And that's me being conservative and also like me not believing in the heat's health.
2: Absolutely. Well, where can people find you out on social media and where can we check out your podcast?
4: You can find me at GNAVAS103. That's G-N-A-V-A-S-103 on Twitter and our Miami Heat Beat podcast at Beat on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we're doing almost like six shows a week. Wow, uh, the coverage has been—it's <laughs> been a lot. We do <laughs> pods on off days, except for Saturday and Sunday, and then every game day we do a game day post game pod. That's our hangover time series. We also have a pregame show on Twitch.tv/miheapy. And by the way, all our pods, post game and pregame shows are streamed on Twitch. So Twitch.tv/miheapy. If you're a Pacers fan, and you wanna check out the pregame show. We have the Weird Elf pregame show, uh, 30 minutes before tip off of every game so check us out on twitch check us out on twitter on instagram so we have all all the offerings and the goodies and of course the main pod feed uh you know we're we're blue flyer mafia with y'all so absolutely (laughs) well thanks so much for coming on
2: and it's uh good to hear a little bit about the heat and kind of see what we're getting ourselves into because this pacers team you know they've had some tough games against the uh the lakers um the Suns. they actually beat which was a surprise and then they play the Nuggets and the Nets tough for about 40 minutes and just fell out. Your fill schedule's
3: up. been rough. It, it's has been oh, month it's of March
2: sucks, but. <laughs> not
3: much light at the end of the tunnel. This is going to be a tough month to the point where, John Carlo, I'll take that split that you talked about. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking
2: the same thing. We got the Pistons coming up in like a week and a half. So, <laughs>
4: hey, we're Two to coach teams. It's going to be fun. We love it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, we'll be right back, everybody. Thanks for coming on, John Carlo.
3: All right, everybody, we are back and we are joined by a friend of the show, Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports. Keith, what's happening?
1: Uh, a lot, man. It's a, We're a week out from the trade deadline, so it's a, it is a very busy time, but, but we love this time of the year as NBA fans. Absolutely
3: love this time. And, you know, it's, it's a time where you can always get excited about kind of like the mystery box. Like, is our team going to make a move? Maybe they won't. You know, you kind of always hope for more than you actually get but every now and then you know there's some splashes made and uh let's let's kind of start with the pacers right now so it's been a tough month for the pacers maybe it's even been a tough stretch but this schedule in march it's really tough for this team and they need to make a move they need to decide are they going to be buyers or sellers off the bat what do you think this pacer team does when they've always pride themselves on making the playoffs?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I think there's this impression that the Pacers don't ever do anything, you know, that that, that they are a quiet deadline team, and I think that's a little unfair. I, I think they've done stuff in the past. I mean, clearly this year, it wasn't a deadline move, but they made the move where they got in there and, uh, in my opinion, stole Karis LeVerve for Agreed. basically... Nothing, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, and that's not to be mean to Victor Oladipo, but it was clear he was done um, in in Indiana, and they turned him into carousel Vert. So, yeah, I, I think there's a chance they do something. What I'm hearing, in which matches my um, own expectations, is that they're more looking forward to seeing this group together. Mm-hmm. If- evaluating them over the rest of the course of the year once TJ Warren is back on the floor. And then let's see what they do, um, you know, in the off season to to kind of relook at things. I think it has a, a potential to be a very busy summer for the Pacers, but I think the, the rest of this season is all about evaluating this group to see how they fit together. I completely agree. I think only in a video game would you truly make two blockbuster trades
3: In one year (laughs) when, you know, you're not looking to rebuild. I mean, look, it wouldn't be the end of the world if they didn't make the playoffs. But I think that there there could be far more harm done if they really shook up this roster before T.J. Warren gets back. And before you really get to see them all play together. I mean, Karis LeVert, just three games played for the Pacers. But some names that uh, come to mind, expiring contracts for the Pacers. Doug McDermott, T.J. McConnell. Uh, both? I mean, you never want to see anyone walk for nothing,
1: but do you mm-hmm. think
3: they'll hold on to both of those guys or maybe move one of them?
1: yeah that's a good question i think if and i'm just pulling up the standings because i don't want to speak out of turn so they are 17 and 22 10th in the east right now which would be that that final play-in tournament spot but but they're only three games out of fifth place if they were further out and it was like yeah maybe we'll make the play-in but i don't know about actually getting into the playoffs i think you might see them more likely to move mcdermott or mcconnell um, mcdermott everybody's always looking for wing shooters everybody's always Always looking for shooting with size. McDermott fills that for every team in the league, and then McConnell. There's always people who are looking for quality backup ball handlers, and McConnell's played himself into being one of the better ones in the NBA. So I think it's, it, it, but but I think the Pacers are still thinking, you know, hey, we're a good week of basketball away from being above 500, and you know, maybe you know, in the fifth spot or something along those lines. So so I don't think it's overly likely they're going to move those guys, and I also. Don't know that it's overly likely that means either one of them leaves for nothing this summer. I think, think they both kind of found a home there. And I think there's a good opportunity that they both stick in Indiana long term.
3: Hey, you know, only time will tell over there, but yeah, it definitely feels like time is ticking where the, the deadline is approaching and you know, it's like with a couple more wins, all of a sudden the whole fan base is back in on saying, we want the playoffs. A couple more losses, and all of a sudden you start to say, you know, is it even worth bringing T.J. Warren back this year? Exactly. But it's a tough decision to make, I think you could, the only thing you can do is just try and win the next game and take it from there. But while we're on the subject of trades, one player who had his name in the headlines recently... Miles Turner, there was a bunch of teams reportedly calling the Pacers about Turner. Uh, I believe it was the Los Angeles Lakers, Los Angeles Clippers, the Knicks, the Pelicans, and the Hornets. One team that was not mentioned in there, the Boston Celtics, a team that had, or you know, there was talks going on in the Mm offseason centered around Miles Turner and Gordon Hayward, a few other pieces here and there. We've heard mixed names, but now we hear that Boston may be looking to move Tristan Thompson. Keith, is there any regret in not making that move for Miles Turner?
1: Yeah, I think, well, I think there's a couple things there that get, gets a little tricky um, with understanding that process. And from how I understand it was, they were deep in conversation. I think it's become clear over, let's call it the last two full full years, that the Celtics aren't overly high on Miles Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's right or wrong, that's you know they're that's a complete opinion thing. Um, but I don't think that they they really think you know he's you know what's going to ail them or fix what ails them. I should say. Um, so I think think what happened is that's why it was. All right, well, all right, maybe we can work a Hayward sign and trade uh, with the Pacers, but it can't just be for Miles Turner. We want back T.J. Warren in that deal. We want back Victor Oladipo. We want back somebody else. Turner and McDermott alone aren't going to be enough. Then the other piece is, I think, while from my understanding of the timing of all this, while all that discussion was happening – the Hornets come parachuting in, and they're like, hey, how about way more money than what the Pacers want to give you in a sign-and-trade, and here's Michael Jordan to call you for a second time to mm-hmm. come play for him. And Gordon Hayward's like, see you later, Indiana. And that's what I think gets forgotten there, is Hayward controlled that process. Yeah, no, he did. I also, it wasn't the Pacers, and it wasn't the Celtics.
3: Yeah, no, he, he definitely but, did. I just feel like at that point, Hayward had to make a decision because money was drying up. I mean, I felt like it was like the Charlotte Hornets and the Knicks had cap room. And then other than that, if you don't make a yep. decision quick, you could be kind of, you know, you could have lost a bunch of money or maybe had to work a new deal with Boston to come
1: back. And that's it. You know, he's he still at Boston on the table. He had Atlanta was still in
3: mm-hmm.
1: on him. He talked about that in the interview he did with Sam Amick, that it really, he was down to the, to, I think it was the five teams, the Hornets, the Hawks, the Pacers, the Knicks and the Celtics. Um at that point, and I think what, get, what gets kind of, you know, missed there is um, for all that maybe Boston and Indiana were getting close to a deal, the Hornets were the ones who messed that up for the yeah. Celtics and the Pacers, Definitely. right? And when, when they came in and said, hey, we'll give you 20 million more guaranteed than anybody else is willing to give you, because from all accounts, the Pacers were right around 100 million was yep. their kind of top end. Um, and, you know, You already turned Michael Jordan down. Well, you didn't turn him down once. You signed him. The off sheet got matched. And, you know, this is your opportunity to come finally play for Michael Jordan. Hayward himself said, I couldn't miss out on that again. So I think that's where, um, you know, the the teams get beat up a little bit on that. Um, As far as Turner goes, I don't know that he really fits Boston necessarily. But where I think he could be really great, and which is why a team like New Orleans is interested I think he fits because you have him kind of to be the, um, you know, shot blocking uh, shooting range uh, combo next to Zion Williamson. You know, Zion Williamson is your, is your inside guy. Zion Williamson, we're all of the belief, you know, he's going to be a 12 rebound per night guy eventually anyway. So they kind of cover for each other's weaknesses and then they, they, they complement each other they're quite well. So that's where I think he could really fit on a team like Boston where there's not that kind of uh, traditional power forward that can do the dirty work um alongside Turner I think that's where it becomes a little bit more messy because as we all know for as good as he is as a shot blocker he's he's not a good rebounder no. um he, he's you know and, and he doesn't really he he's now become more of a jump shooter than a role man mm-hmm. than ever um and I think that's where that that fit gets a little messy with the Celtics um could they make it work Yeah, absolutely You make it work he's a good player I just think that's where where you know why you're not here in Boston in on him anymore because I think they're looking at it as this just doesn't really necessarily make a lot of sense for us with the way the roster is constructed around. You make other moves, yeah, maybe then they come back around and say, yeah, we're in on this. But I think today that's just not a move for them. But, But for other teams, yeah, absolutely, he'd be a great fit. Oh,
3: for sure. I mean, there's a lot of teams that could use his rim protection. Uh, it's it's pretty rare in today's game. But I understand if it doesn't fit with Boston. But it's kind of almost become a joke between non-Celtics fans, and maybe <laughs> maybe it is with, with Celtics fans. But we hear Celtics have interest in, and it it sounds like Danny Ainge has interest in a lot of guys. But who who and what is he willing to give up in return for those players? Because Boston seems to be that team that they're rumored into interest, but they're not pulling, you know, trigger on these deals. Mm -hmm. Do you see Boston making a deal? And if so, what are they willing to give up? Because you have a massive trade exception, but, you know, some teams are going to want some players back.
1: Yeah, that's the challenge is it's the trade exception. You know, I keep telling people this. The trade exception is not something that that you trade, right? It doesn't do anything for the other team. It's mm-hmm. simply a tool for the Celtics to ease their ability to acquire a player. But you have to trade picks or players back, and that's where it gets messy because – if we were having this conversation two years ago, we'd be having it about how, well, they have that Grizzlies pick, they have that Kings pick. Those picks both, you know, you know, should be pretty good. Uh, they've got the this young player, this young player. And then we go, we have this conversation three or four years ago. You still had Nets picks. You, you had Tatum and Brown looked like, you know, they were pretty good. It was kind of one of those things where that's why they were in on all sorts of guys. Cause they had all these great young assets. And then it was, You know whether they didn't close the deal, the other teams didn't like the Celtics guys enough, whatever. That's where the jokes of you know Danny Ainge got close again but didn't do it, grew out of, and they're they're all fair to make. Now the other piece is with the Celtics this year, they're in on all almost all the available players because of the the um, trade exception, right? Because that allows them to take in players. Why it's hard to get something done though is. They have no extra picks now. Now it's just their own first-round picks. You're certainly not going to send them somebody really good that's going to make them better than what they are now because then that pick's not going to be great. And then the other thing is they're young guys, because they're Tatum and Brown, those guys are likely off the board unless it's an absolute one of the top five players in the league kind of trade. And then the rest of the players on the roster, they're not as valuable – As you know, what you may think, it's you know Aaron Niesmith still a mystery box, Romeo Langford still a mystery box, Robert Williams, yeah, teams like him, but though that's where the challenge is that they're they're about out of you know really good tradable assets. They could put together two three picks, but is there a player on the on the trade market right now that you feel really good about saying you know all right go trade you know two young players and you know three first round draft picks for? I don't know that that guy exists, and that's why I'm not uh, overly high and the Celtics making a trade. If we were having this conversation a week ago coming out of the all-star break where they looked a lot different than they look now, yeah, I might feel a little bit better that, all right, they're going to do something big here. They're going to make a real big swing at this because they will trade all those picks. Now that they've dropped back to 500 again, I think it's more likely they sit pat and then the big moves come, come the summer.
3: Yeah. You know, it's crazy. I never really thought I'd see the day. I knew it would happen one point. When the Celtics ran out of endless assets, you know, <laughs> it went on for years. Now, you know, it seems like OKC is kind of that team that's just stockpiling future draft picks. So uh, curious to see what they do in the future. But for right now, you know, you mentioned you don't know if they'll go after someone in particular in a big trade. But the buyout market is, is actually believed to be, you know, pretty interesting this year. There's some names floated around there you know maybe everyone's kind of waiting for Andre Drummond to be brought bought out maybe George Hill maybe a few others we saw Blake Griffin bought out earlier is there an is there a few names you have in mind maybe other than those guys
1: that could be available um yeah I mean you mentioned a lot of the main um, names that you know we're all Hearing it's uh you know we already saw Trevor Ariza moved um, earlier this week we saw PJ Tucker so a couple of guys everyone expected to go are you know they're they're now gone Andre Drummond that's probably going to come down to a buyout nobody's willing to meet the asking price for that salary number that's sort of where the Spurs are at with Lamarcus Aldridge Um, so that that's you know become kind of a couple guys that were a little tricky there Pistons tried really hard on Blake Griffin ultimately they worked one of the biggest buyouts in NBA history to. To go there, and then, then after that, it's players who are nice players, but they're just not anybody you know. Um, you're going to get overly excited about. But the kind of sad thing almost there though is. These are the guys who will help teams win win some games um, in the playoffs. Guys like George Hill. um, He's probably going to get moved by Oklahoma City. If he's not traded, he'll likely get a buyout and go somewhere. And as long as he's healthy, that's the tricky part with him. He's coming off a hand injury. If he's healthy, then he can really help a lot of teams. As a combo guard off the bench, I know you're very familiar uh, with George Hill's game from his his time in Indiana. Um, the, The Kings, Harrison Barnes, that one people can get a little bit more excited about, but we'll see. The Kings are kind of asking for, you know, they they don't want a massive return, but they want a nice return for him because he's having a really good year for them. I mean, he's somebody who could still fit on that team going forward. Then you've got guys who are less excited on the Kings, less exciting on the Kings like Corey Joseph, Nemanja Bielitsa, Hassan Whiteside. Those are all role players that could go somewhere and help. Orlando looks like they're going to stick with Nikola Vucevic, Aaron Gordon and Terrence Ross. So you're looking at their expiring guys, guys like Evan Fournier, Kem Birch, uh, you know, maybe James Ennis, who feels like his his uh, destiny is to be traded at every trade deadline mm-hmm. um, for like the end of the eternity, right? Wayne Ellington from the Pistons. That's a guy because he's, he's maybe the most available plug and play player um, out there because you just put him in your lineup and let him shoot that that's what he does and you know everybody can kind of use that gorgie jang on the grizzlies if you could use another big you're kind of looking there new orleans is willing to move jj reddick another uh you know plug and play veteran shooter so those are the guys you're looking at i think the superstar deals are done you know, now now that I've said that, you know, I'm going to be on the way to the soccer field tonight with our daughter, and there's going to be news that breaks that some massive trade that <laughs> came out of nowhere happened, right? But but that that's the thing. It's it's a lot of, you know, good players that can be helpful in the right spots, um, but they, I don't know that there's anybody who, you're, who anyone's going to look at and say, that's a true game changer. That elevated whatever team acquires them. Now they should, you know, be considered a finals contender. Helpful? Sure. You know, elevation to that level? Probably not.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. It seems more the longs, more along the lines of role players, unless it's like a Andre Drummond that you know you obviously know can help out big time in terms of rebounding. But you know, obviously, he has flaws in his game. And I did have a Celtics fan actually right before this when I when I told him that you were coming on. He wanted the Harrison Barnes talk. He, he really was like, I'm all in on trying to get Harrison Barnes, <laughs> but. You know, who knows what what Sacramento, what they're able to get back, because they've kind of been stuck in the mud for quite some time. And uh, also, you know, not that he'll be bought out. Another guy we talked about earlier, Victor Oladipo, you got to expect that he's probably going to be on the move Uh, in Houston. I mean, he turned down a two-year deal there. Uh, It it sounds like Houston, that that ship's kind of going down, and I think they're already looking towards next year that, do you expect Oladipo to be moved? Because if he doesn't, you got to really be wondering what was Houston thinking trading Karis Levert for Oladipo?
1: Yeah, that's still a question that a lot of people have around the league. is, you know, well, what was Houston thinking? It sounds like their plan was let's, um, you know, we're going to kind of try to thread the needle here. We'll stay competitive. We'll, we'll try to be a playoff team. And. Before this, you know, insane amount of injuries really kind of wiped out, you know, half of their roster. Um, They were 11 and 10. They've Mm -hmm. lost, what, like 18 games in a row now? Mm -hmm. So something crazy like that, um, which has dropped them completely out of it. But they were 11 and 10 and right in the mix in the West. So now what's happened since then or during this, you know, really awful, you know, month plus downswing is – Oladipo well, turned down an extension and he turned down an extension that was not very team friendly either. It was one of those things where that's probably what he's getting on the open market, which I think signals to everybody, Victor Oladipo's done. done. He's not coming back to Houston. He wants to be somewhere else. So now it just looks even worse that you could add Karis LeVert for yourself. You know, why did you not just keep him? We understand why Jared Allen got rerouted to Cleveland. That kind of had to happen to make, make the deal work. And, yeah, Houston will get a bunch of flexibility out of this when Oladipo's contract expires this offseason. But, you know, what are they going to do with it? That, that really kind of becomes a question. So, yeah, Oladipo is one of those guys where I'll be surprised if anybody trades for him, but I'll also be very surprised if he finish these, finishes this year as a Houston Rocket.
3: I would also. It just wouldn't make much sense for him to finish yeah. the year over there. But you know, I heard some, from some Rocket fans. You know, Houston didn't want to take back the salary, but then uh, for Levert. But then also, you're talking about they offered Oladipo a contract extension, which would have been more money than yeah. what Karis Levert would have been making. So. Truly does not make much sense. I'm very happy that he's in Indiana now. Just a small three-game sample size, but I think he's starting to get his legs underneath him. You know, he's been averaging about, I want to say, roughly 18 points per game in his three games. So
1: I think the best is yet to come for Levert in Indiana. But I, one thing on that, too, <laughs> just because I want to say this, because it's, um, you know, maybe the outsider perspective, right, on the Pacers, is this was great. Outcome for Indiana, even despite, you know, thankfully, you know, Levert's on the backside of, of, you know, them finding the mass and all that stuff. We wish that didn't happen, but, you know, in some ways, hey, good thing he got traded, right? Because who knows how long it might have gone before that was found. But just strictly from a basketball and uh, a salary cap perspective, the Pacers were going to be stuck because they were either going to lose Oladipo for nothing or you were going to end up having to pay him a contract that probably no one felt overly comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you weren't going to get them on a on a team friendly extension. So you were going to have to pay him. And then that that's really where if you're the Pacers and you're kind of that that middle tier kind of team, that's where you can really ruin yourself and get stuck because now you're paying yourself into a corner. Now what you've done is quite frankly, in my opinion, you got a better player for less money than what you would have paid Oladipo, and you have him for a couple extra years. So I think the Patriots hit an absolute home run with getting Karis LeVert. And I think because of his size, he allows you to be a little bit more flexible because what you can do now is if you ever got to the point, which I think that may be a discussion come this summer if they don't turn things around, or do we need to split up Turner and Sabonis? Levert being a bigger player, where Oladipo is a true two, Mm -hmm. where Levert can play the two, three, can even handle the ball to play the one enough if you need to, that gives you that roster flexibility where you can build this thing out a lot different ways than you could have with Oladipo as kind of one of your key cogs. So I think Indiana gave themselves really good salary flexibility, but also positional basketball flexibility as well.
3: I completely agree. We were fortunate enough to have Kevin Pritchard on the show, and he was talking about how when they made the trade and they, you know, they traded Oladipo, they kind of had to, I don't remember what the exact term was, it was almost like pay homage to the basketball gods of, Hey, it's going to take some time, <laughs> yeah. you know, to get him back, but we'll, we'll be able to reap the benefits later on. And also one thing, when you mention all the differences, Karis Levert's younger. So yeah. he's able to yep. fit with this team moving forward. And it's not to say that Oladipo is old by any means, but you know, Levert's about two to three years younger um, and plus By having him under contract and not paying Oladipo, which was what believed uh, was a $25 million per year starting offer that he turned down from the Pacers, it enables us to be able to bring TJ Warren back on his next deal. So that's something that's very important. But as we look at the Eastern Conference now, Keith, it's a strange time to be in the Eastern Conference right now. (laughs) Outside of the top three seeds of Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee, there's everybody else. Miami, they're scorching hot just like it is in the weather down there. But you also have teams like the Charlotte Hornets are playing good basketball. The the Atlanta Hawks are on a six-game winning streak. And then when you you keep peeking down there, you find our teams. The Celtics in that seventh spot at 500. And there's the Knicks, you know, the Bulls, and then the Pacers.
1: What can you pinpoint right now has been the problem with the Celtics? Um, It's it's funny. I just put something up on Celtics blog today. It's my uh, – normally I do 10 takeaways from the prior game. I didn't feel like – I didn't have time nor the desire to re-watch them lose in Cleveland again. So I said, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do the 10 things that have me most confused about this team th- this year. And, and th- there are a few things um, that they, I won't go into all of them, but when you look at it, their defense has fallen way, way off. Um, and it's a little inexplicable why that has happened. Uh, you know, some people are saying, well, you know, it's a short off season and they've had injuries. Uh, the games are coming. So, you know, tight, there's no practice time, but that's the same for, Everybody, you know, yeah, they had a shorter off season than all, but the you know Heat, Lakers, and Nuggets, um, because those teams were all there just as long or longer in the bubble. But you know, I, I don't know that that one. I feel a little weird about. Hey, it's just they're not connected. They, it, Brad Stevens' teams have been built on their switchability and their connectedness, and this group just is not connected. So I really don't understand. You know what has happened? I, I kind of said this to a friend of mine today. Is this team? built good defenses on teams that had Isaiah Thomas and Tyler Zeller playing major minutes. Mm-hmm. And now they, 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 they're, you know, not good. They're, they're, you know, they've fallen off. They're 21st in the NBA in defense. The three point defense has dropped off. They don't force turnovers. They don't really defend at the rim. It's just, it's just all, all bad um there. And then the other thing that really confuses me is they don't really seem to have a true direction. And why I say that is if the direction is to contend, and they're trying to win every game possible then what you need need to do is you should be moving some of these these guys that are on your bench now, go get better players to support Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart. Go get better players behind them. Go get a Harrison Barnes. Go do something that builds out your roster a little bit better. Because right now, you're overly reliant on younger players as your depth, and it's just not working. You're not going to win you know at a very high level that way. If it's development season, which I would also be fine with, if that's what everybody's saying is, hey, we're taking a little step back, it's going to be a development year, not a problem. But I think your challenge there becomes, then you got to actually play the guys who need the development. You know, Jeff Teague should not play over Peyton Pritchard. Agreed. So- Shemiozeli should not play over Grant Williams or Aaron Niesman. Those guys should be on the floor. So that's where right now they're just kind of stuck in this middle. And in a lot of ways, um, not to you know try try to be you know uh, funny here or go with a cliche. That's why they're stuck in the middle of the standings is because you're stuck in the middle with the style you play. So those are the two things I would point to that have kind of got me a little confounded as someone who covers this team night to night is not fully understanding you know, what happened to the defense. And then what are you trying to be as a team? I think, again, they tried to thread that needle, and it just has not worked for them.
3: I agree. And when you talk about the young players over there, I mean, sure, there's some young assets there that I think probably should be flipped because from the outside looking in, everybody expected more out of this Boston team. And you got guys like Grant Williams and Romeo Langford and Carson Edwards that, you know, to be honest, I don't think that you can count on those guys on a nightly basis. And it depends on, like you mentioned, What's the direction? If it is win now, then those are probably the kind of guys that you, you might have to look to move. But at the same point, hey, all I can do is worry about my team that's sinking. So I'm going to leave that to you. But uh, right now, one thing that's kind of kind of a little bit interesting, since Nate McMillan has taken over the Atlanta Hawks, they have not lost. And right now, they're they're moving up the rankings. Um, they're, like I mentioned before, they're in, a, I want to say, the sixth spot right now. Yep, Pacer fans now, you see the success over there. Now they start to wonder maybe Nate McMillan wasn't the problem. But I want to pop the brakes and say the man, while I got respect for him, his playoff record was atrocious. I mean, the Pacers were swept three times in his four trips to the playoffs. And now it's kind of has the people getting a little, little angry or frustrated towards Nate Bjorken. Now, would you, Keith, rather stick with what was going to be a good regular season and not work in the playoffs, or would you rather swing for the fences and do something different, knowing that you have a higher ceiling but could fail? Because that's what the Pacers did with the Bjorker signing. I think he needs more time.
1: Yeah, he definitely needs more time. Their season's been kind of ruined with the injuries that mm-hmm. they've had. They, they, they're just missing. It's, it, it's when your uh, two best creators of offense, or, or I'll give you three, are Malcolm Brogdon, who's good but not great at that, uh, T.J. McConnell, and then um, uh, Damana Sabonis, um, who's a big man, you're, you're probably going to struggle to put together points. Right, and that that's been the problem. You know, now that Levert's back, you're going to start to I think see uh, the offense be a little bit better, a little more free flowing. They'll start to create a little bit better. Get TJ Warren back, things will look really good. Um, so yeah, definitely more time. As to your question, I for the Pacers for where they were at, this is where I'll answer this two different ways. For the Pacers for where they were at. Go for the home run higher. really try to get there. You, How many years are you content with being somewhere between the fourth and seventh seed and just making the playoffs? Maybe you went around, maybe you don't. You know, that's not – that. that's, to me, that's fine for some teams. The Charlotte Hornets right now, the Hawks on their way up, the New York Knicks for where they've been. Those things are fine. Just get to the playoffs, be a playoff team for a couple of years. For a team like the Pacers, you'd already done that. How long are you going to string that window out? You know, how long are fans going to be like, okay, cool, we're back in the playoffs again? You you start to hear like, all right, great, you know, but who cares? We're just going to lose come, you know, May and June. You know, not even get to June, but, you know, April and May anyway. You know, so why, why, why am I going to invest? And that's where, you know, for the Pacers, they've done that. Go for the home run hire and see where that takes you.
3: Completely agree. I just think for right now, when with the injuries they've had to this team, I think it's really stripped them of the full potential. That you know maybe Bjorken just doesn't have the pieces that he needs right now to run his system. But he he can't just be content with you know getting swept in the first round. So there always has to be a bigger picture. And I think Nate Bjorken comes from that pedigree, working under Nick Nurse. So I'm excited. But uh, as we sign off over here, can I get a prediction of? Which team makes it out of the Eastern Conference? A little Eastern Conference Finals preview and who's going on to the championship out of the East.
1: Yeah, I I picked Milwaukee preseason and I – there's not a lot has given me reason to move off that. Okay. And I think the PJ Tucker deal is going to help them mm-hmm. um, with, with, with that. So I, I'll, you know, I, I'm, I'm tentatively going to stay with that, but it's really tough uh, to pick up, to not pick the Nets. Um, what I would like to really do is let's talk in like a week and a half after buyout yeah. season. has kind of played out. Let's see what the Nets do to fill out because I don't think Sean Marks has done. Um, so if they can fill out, especially with a couple defenders, I'm going to pick the Nets. I'll move off my preseason pick and I'll pick the Nets, but right now I'll still stick with the bucks cuz i don't think brooklyn has an answer for Giannis. and that, and i think this bucks team what they've done differently this year is less is more they're only playing about a nine man rotation um which is really good for them um they so their starters you know we all heard in the miami series they can't play more than 30 minutes a night cuz that's oh what God. they maxed out at and those kind of things this year they're playing you know up 35 even 40 some games um so that should not be be that issue um i think they have a more more uh, playoff ready team yep. than they had uh, in previous years too um, so I feel better about the Bucs, despite the fact they're not just rolling over everybody in the regular season. Because I think they've also realized, been there, done that. What did that get us? Nothing. You know, so we're, we're good to go. So I'll still stay with them. But if the Nets make, you know, some pretty good moves, you know, here on out and flush out their roster with some defense, it's going to be really hard to pick against them.
3: Oh, yeah. and Unless you have LeBron James, I think there's always something that can be learned from a tough playoff loss that crushes you and I think that's what the Bucks went through last year because they were expected to be the team to win it all or you know come out of the east and they went through some playoff trouble so I would like to think that Giannis is coming back hungrier I have seen Budenholzer um you know play his starters much more just like he said because I don't think anybody agreed with what was going on in the playoffs when they would not play Giannis as much as they needed to so hey we'll, we'll find out but Keith As we wrap up over here, uh, tell everybody maybe some stuff that you've been working on lately.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of trade deadline stuff. I've got a couple pieces up for Yahoo Sports. Uh one was I went through all 30 teams, put them in the uh, category of buyer, seller, either or neither. Um, you know, and that that's uh so that's up there. And then I went through uh the, it was funny. My number one to be traded guy on this list, it's the kind of players that we're hearing the most about. And I went through, you know, what's the likelihood they're traded or bought out. Uh, the number one guy on that list was Trevor. And he got traded minutes before it published. So they took him <laughs> off the list, which I was like, leave him on there. You would have made me look really, really good. Um, you know, but but that's okay. You know, we all know how that goes. It would have just confused people, I think. So so yeah, that was um, you know, those pieces are both up. We'll have some trade deadline wrap up stuff coming out as well. Um, you know, after the deadline, and then Ben will uh, real quickly pivot for what I write about a lot. We'll start looking towards the offseason.
3: Awesome, man. I'm definitely looking forward to that. And tell people where they could find you on Twitter.
1: Yeah, you find me on Twitter at Keith Smith um, I'll be you know pretty active over the next week as we're leading up to the deadline with comments on the trades that are happening and all those kind of things. I try to um, you know take it beyond the the initial reports of you know uh, team X is trading player you know, one to, you know, team Y for player two. Um, I try to, uh, you know, go into a little bit more detail of, all right, so this is how this is going to have to work. Or there needs to be something involved in this trade that hasn't been reported yet and try try to, um, you know, really be in there on the details on those kind of things and help people, you know, have a bigger, greater understanding of how this stuff works.
3: Hey, looking forward to it, Keith. As
1: always, I appreciate it. And uh, hey, good luck at the deadline and for the rest of the season. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Good luck to you guys. And we'll talk to you soon. All
2: right, everyone, that wraps it up for another episode of Setting the Pace. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. If you did, make sure you give us a five-star rating. And if you're not already, download those episodes. It really helps us out and makes this podcast go a long way. Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media?
3: So we can be found on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3 You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore FACCI. And on Instagram, we are at PacersTalk.
2: F-A-C-C-I, I like how you said that, but Pace fans, if you're wondering why you're still watching this team after the horrible play of late, all you can do is just shrug them shoulders, sit back, and say these three words.
3: Let's go Paceers.
0: Go no catch! Oh, he turned it. Oh, he smothered that chicken. He one. He smothered the chicken.